This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're in for a treat. We've got a doctor and lawyer, Dr. Roderick Mulgan, talking to us today. And he is the nephew. His uncle was John Morgan who is a genuine New Zealand hero who wrote a beautiful book called Man Alone, which is an amazing book. If you haven't read it, go to the library and get it and read it, and you'll probably end up buying a copy to have it and to treasure it. And also his book, A Report on Experience of His Time in World War II in Greece, being a Greek scholar, and he died uh, in Cairo, sadly. And his little son grew up uh, to become Richard Morgan, a political scientist here in New Zealand. And his brother had a son who we're speaking to. Good morning, Roderick. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's wonderful. And like, I just, I get a bit of a chill to be talking to you because of when I was a kid growing up, I so loved John Morgan's book, Two Books. And um, his life story, which was so tragic, and being mm. such an amazing scholar, it's a tremendous story. And of course, you're a scholar yourself, being both a medical doctor and a lawyer. You normally think of choosing one or others, and you've got both. Uh, you've got a book coming up. We're going to have you back on to discuss that book. Will be of huge interest to our listeners. But what we're on about today is. How the Law Society, which governs all lawyers and tells them what they can and can't do, and I guess it tells them whether they possibly can be lawyers. I don't know. You have to tell us yes, that. Yes, it does. Well, it issues practicing certificates. So yeah. if you want to practice as a lawyer, uh, not just use a law degree, but if you want to actually practice as a lawyer, you do need a practicing certificate from this outfit. So they credential all lawyers, and if you're not credentialed, you can't be one. Yes. And they can kick you out of being a lawyer. Yes. And it's being proposed that it just doesn't become a rule amongst lawyers, but it goes into statute that lawyers will be required, just get, correct me if I get the wording wrong, lawyers will be required to follow the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. <laughs> Well, basically, yes. The report that's promoting this uses the phrase titiriti, so it's actually referring to the Maori version of the treaty that would be required to be followed, which is significant. As we know, there is debate about the difference between the two versions of the treaty. But yes, what you're saying is that there is a proposal underway. There's only a week left for lawyers to make submissions on this. And it all started around 2017 when there was publicity about big law firms mistreating young women. And an investigation into law culture was undertaken. And it's since gone off in directions that were very different from where it started. And this is one of the big things to come out of it, that lawyers should practice consistently with the principles of Titariti. Now, as we know, it's fashionable in the modern world, distinct references to the treaty, or Titariti if you want to, uh, into various mission statements and codes of practice and such like. 
And most of the time, they don't have a lot of bite. But the thing about the law is that words do have bite. Our words have got to mean something. Now, when you refer to the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi, one of the problems you've got is that nobody can agree what those principles are. There's a lot of debate about what those principles are. So, for instance, it's commonly asserted that the treaty created a partnership, for instance. But then other people point out, well, you can't really be in partnership with yourself. And the state of New Zealand represents all citizens, including Maori citizens. So it can't really be in partnership with Maori citizens. Unless, of course, the proposal is that there'd be two different sets of sovereignty. There'd be a state for all non-Maori citizens and a state for Maori citizens or something. But these things would suddenly become enormously significant if lawyers had to practice consistently with these principles, and if lawyers could be disciplined for failing to follow these principles. What would be an example? It's wildly speculative. We just don't know what it would mean, but I'll give you an example. There is a lot of academic discussion and analysis around the idea that the Maori chiefs who signed the treaty did not intend to relinquish their sovereignty. Sovereignty is the foundation of law. If you go into a courtroom, that courtroom only has the power to convict people of crimes and to determine people's civil disputes and all the things it does because it represents the power of the state and the sovereignty of the state to govern its citizens. But if Maori citizens could argue they're not part of that, then lawyers might, in theory, be required to advance those arguments. Because you've got to bear in mind that lawyers are required to advance anything that might assist their client regardless of their personal beliefs. So once it becomes a duty to advance these arguments, it doesn't matter what you think privately. Now, this sounds absurd and wildly speculative, but the world is full of things that might once have been absurd. And when you put words into statute, they have to mean something. So that is one possible direction that all of this could go in. That lawyers will start saying, well, this client, Your Honor, is Maori, and according to the principles of Titariti, this, this person uh, never surrendered their sovereignty to this court. This court has no jurisdiction. Oh, it sounds a, mad. It's a, further, it's a further push, isn't it, for Indigenous law? Yes. Well, that's the natural, that's the natural end point of all this talk that Māori didn't s surrender their sovereignty and that what the treaty created was a partnership. If it created a partnership, you've got to have two partners. So you've got to have Māori as a separate constitutional entity from the state that represents everybody else. But how could this be a, come to pass, Richard, uh, Roderick, and I'm meaning this most gen genuinely because lawyers are smart people. They're smart people with words. They have their own interests at heart. They understand rules, contracts, deals, it's their field. 
So how can they get themselves signing up to a statutory obligation professionally that would literally tie them in knots in ways that no one can foresee? Well, it's a good question. A, a survey of the profession's already been done, and around 44% of respondents said that they did not support this move, although 35% said that they did. Now, that would seem to be a clear signal from the profession that this isn't wanted, but the people behind it do seem determined to persist. And, I mean, as to your question, you know, is it something lawyers want? I mean, it probably isn't, but if it's imposed, it will have to be used because of course. lawyers have these duties. You, you can have to follow the law. The sub subject to professional discipline, if you don't advance all the arguments available to assist your client. It's all it's the exact opposite of the rule of law, because yes. the rule of law is that you know what the rules are ahead of time. Yes. But we're having lawyers sign up to something that they don't know what the rule's going to be, and everyone listening knows that this is a living, breathing thing, and that your lawyer could be come under disciplinary hearing to be disbarred because they didn't uphold the principles of the treaty when these principles are ever-evolving. That's so potentially it's, the direction we're going in, yes. It's a political, and it'll be a political charge. Yes. It is. Yeah, I mean, these, these things, these things are all political. So how does it get stopped, Roderick? The Law Society is still taking submissions. We've got until the 31st of the month. So the imperative is for all the members of the Law Society and everybody who knows somebody who's a member of the Law Society, rack them up. A submission doesn't have to be long. It's online. Just make it very clear that this is not a direction that the profession wants to go in. Most of us use a lawyer at some point in our lives. This is something that impacts the lives of ordinary people one way or another over time. And if you don't want your lawyer to be captured by political ideology, the window for acting is closing. So what we can't I can't make a submission, but anyone no, I know you, who's you, a lawyer. You, you could approach your lawyer and say, I've heard about this. I'd like you to do something about it. Well, we could even ask him what his view is on it or her yes. view, because if they're for it, I'm not in for them. <laughs> I'm yeah. not my lawyer. <laughs> and if they say, Oh, I haven't looked into it, they're no longer my lawyer. So, so I want my lawyer to say it's mad because that's the definition of a good lawyer who can understand these things. Mm. And I will say, well, what are you proposing to do about it? And all they need to do is say, well, I'll make a submission or I have made a submission. Yes. That should be your requirement of your lawyer as a matter of course. You would hope so, wouldn't you? You would hope so, because um, it is so unbelievably balmy. And, of course, we know that the Law Society and lawyers, like all professional bodies, 
have been caught up in avoiding a media attack. So it's very easy to come under attack for having a sexist, racist, bullying culture, whatever, and mm-hmm. impossible impossible to defend yourself. Yes. So what we're having is a situation where these credentialist agencies rush ahead of everything to be more me too than the next person so that they immunize themselves against an attack without concerning themselves with the consequences. Mm -hmm. Because to do otherwise is to leave yourself vulnerable, but to do so is to put yourself in unknown territory. We've seen this with the rainbow tick, for example, Mm -hmm. where it seems a very easy thing to do. You get the rainbow tick and then you're safe, but then you find yourself having to do X, Y, Z because you've signed up. Absolutely. Okay, listeners, there you go. It's a challenge for you. Um, Imagine it. Your lawyer, his or her responsibility will not be to you as a client, which it is now. It'll be first and foremost to the principles of the treaty. You might say to yourself, hmm, I wonder what they are. No one knows. And The people that are saying they know, they're saying things that are nonsense and extremely dangerous. And because what you have is not the rule of law, but the rule of the political powerful. And the political powerful isn't you who's seeking to talk to your lawyer. The law exists to protect the politically weak. Not under this proposal. Roderick, anything you'd like to add for people to what they can do? Look, lobbying is all that's available at this point, and that's really why we're putting the message out there. Please use all the levers available to make it clear to the law society that this is not a healthy development in the rule of law of New Zealand. That was Dr. Roderick Mulgan, a medical doctor, a lawyer, a person who's prepared to stand up for the good of our country and for the good of the law profession. I'm sure he's going to take some hits for that. Roderick, we'd like you back to keep us updated on this. If there's any more uh, developments, please contact us and we'll give you whatever time you need to keep us abreast of it because it's just another one of those very important things that's happening in New Zealand. Thank you for your time. You're very generous, Rodney. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Uh, Stay tuned. Uh, send us a text, 2057. Uh, email me at inbox at radiocheck.radio. That was Roderick Mil- Milgan. Uh, amazingly to me, nephew of John Milgan, the author and scholar and soldier. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. 